Welcome to another episode of the Scotland's Choice podcast. The journey to the referendum on Scotland's future is underway, and in these podcasts we're examining the choices for the Scottish public, looking at what we do differently to Westminster already, with the limited powers we do have, and what we could and would do differently with the full powers of independence. Why? Well, we want everyone to be informed, involved and hopefully inspired to look at the possibilities for Scotland. Because... As our country renews, we need to choose our own future before somebody else chooses it for us. I'm your host, Drew Hendry MP, and in this episode, I'm in conversation with former Better Together campaigner, Ruri Hanna. Originally from Portsmouth, Ruri moved to the Highlands as a young man. He's worked in retail and local government before joining the Merchant Navy, where he was stranded during the infamous Hanjin collapse. On returning to shore, he's worked in tourism. He's also worked as the online content manager for Runrig. He's a former no voter, but has now become convinced that independence for Scotland is right and featured in the recent SNP party political broadcast, Change Must Come. He plays drums, he's a photographer, and he's a passionate Liverpool FC fan. So, Ruri Hanna, thank you for joining us on the Scotland's Choice podcast. Yeah, thanks, Drew, for having me on. Uh, now, Ruri, we know that you voted no in 2014. Why Why was that? What was it that motivated you to vote against independence at that time? Yeah, so, I mean, as you said at the end of, of your question there, um, a lot of people voted no, not necessarily to endorse the union, but to reject independence. Um, and I think that's an important distinction to make because there were two campaigns run at the time, you know, a, m- a slightly more positive campaign with, with yes and a much more negative campaign with no. And history shows us that positive campaigns tend to do too well against negative campaigns. However, at the time, I wasn't convinced by some of the arguments that yes, we're putting forward. And I was I was nervous to take the risk, and I think a lot of people would would say the same thing that it was it was more about not wanting to take that leap into the unknown um, or the perceived unknown um, in 2014, and and being happy sticking with the status quo. Now at the time, um, you know, for full disclosure, I was a member of the Lib Dem party. Mm. Well, you you were actually very active in the No campaign and Better Together, weren't weren't you at the time? Yeah, so I was, you know, I was doing the knocking on doors, standing in the streets, um, phoning people up. So I was quite active as far as as far as the political campaign goes. I was a fairly active member in that. Um, and so I did feel passionately that the independence was a risk not worth taking. I wasn't ever a staunch unionist, you know, to, mm-hmm. to use that phrase. I'd say at the time I was probably quite a soft no, mm-hmm. even though I was very passionate about not wanting to take the risk. I was never so averse to conversation that I would shut any debate down. And there were times during the campaign where I did, I, I questioned it. I thought, you know, mm-hmm. is, is this the right thing to be doing? Um, and I've heard a lot of people talk about the head and heart argument. You know, my, my heart said yes to independence and my head said no. And I think it's a little bit more complex than that. Mm. And for me, it's slightly more complex as well because I was born in England. My dad's English. I grew up in England. To this day, I still support the England football team. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a bit of a wrestle with 
with my nationality in that sense. You know, did I feel Scottish? Did I feel British? Did I feel English? And I think the answer, the answer is a combination of them mm. all. But I don't think that actually needs to come into the conversation. There's plenty of people that are English and support independence. Yeah. There's plenty of people who will still continue to feel British mm -hmm. and vote for yes. Mm -hmm. um, because you need, I mean, that's a whole other question. You need to, you need to dig into what is, what does it mean to be British or English or, or Scottish? But I always like the, the um, always like the uh, definition of being Scottish is if you feel Scottish, then you're Scottish. It doesn't matter where you're from or what your history. Doesn't matter was. where you're from or where you currently live, even. Yeah, and you know, exactly. now if someone was to ask me my nationality, I would say I would say I'm I'm Scottish. I've mm -hmm. lived, I've made this my home. Mm -hmm. I've lived and worked here for what well, my whole working life. So, so yeah, I, I I do think that there was an element of that head and heart in it, and I think I think that's actually becoming less mm. less of the case now. I think a lot of people's heads are turning we're, towards we're going, independence. Well, going back, do you do you have any regrets about the Better Together campaign? It's a big question. Um, <laughs> yeah. So again, I think you need to think about what does it mean to regret something. So if if you're talking about now in hindsight, it, with all that I know now. If I were to travel back in time, would I vote differently? And the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. um, however, I don't. I don't regret voting no. I don't regret being part of the campaign to encourage others to vote no because that's how I felt at the time, and mm -hmm. I think it's more important to be looking forward than to be looking back. And we we know that you've since changed your mind. Uh, how much of that was a a gradual process that unfolded over a period of time, or was there? an event that uh, that really triggered your conversion so as i said earlier drew um there were times even before the vote that i was not seriously considering changing my mind but there were doubts in the back of my head um the way that some of the the leaders of the no campaign were conducting themselves and some of the the messaging that was put forward which i didn't entirely feel comfortable with um, making guarantees about things like the EU membership um, is one thing which I'll touch on in a second. So in terms of changing my mind, um, I remember very clearly David Cameron standing on the steps of Downing Street yeah. the, on the morning, you know, two or three hours after the result came in and um, the English votes for English laws speech, um, which clearly is not a coincidence. That was a very, a very pre-planned yeah. thing right that's that's the scots dealt with now like let's move on to the to what i want to do and that really didn't sit right with me and i know plenty of other people that were really involved with the no campaign um who were the same and and looking on in disbelief um a, a lurch to the right certainly within mm. within the tory party and, and of course and there, then, were, there were a lot of promises a lot of um things that were said about how Scotland would be taken seriously as a partner. And that, that event with Cameron and the doorstep was really the start of that being thrown out, wasn't it? Yeah, of course. I mean, we had, you know, we had people like, um, like Gordon Brown making these, you know, to be fair to him, very well put speeches, um, promising the earth and, and promising, you know, federalism. And he was in no position to promise anything, uh, for one thing, because he, his party wasn't in power. And more importantly, he wasn't even leader of his party um to get federalism in the uk i i think is is unrealistic and i think many people were really bought into that idea of 
whether you want to call it federalism or the Devo well, Max we, we've, system. We've talked, we've talked about federal, federalism and the promise of that in previous podcasts on Scotland's Choice. And, uh, you know, as I've said many times, there has to be a willingness at Westminster amongst the system to actually look at doing something seriously yeah. with that. And it's just not there. You know, there's no sign of it. The view- no, it's it's not, and and it, not only is it not there, the opposite is there. Mm. So it's it's not only a barrier to federalism; they're in, they're actively in, encouraging undoing devolution. Yeah, the Internal Markets uh, Bill and the yeah. EU Withdrawal Act. Yeah. yeah, and so and yeah, and so on the EU Withdrawal Act. I think many people who post two thousand fourteen were maybe having second thoughts and thinking, oh well, I don't know if I made the right decision. Well, let's just see how it goes. And then came Brexit. And I think everyone who I know that have changed their mind since then, since 2014, rather, um, will always mention Brexit in the conversation, whether it's the sole reason or whether it, it was the straw that broke the camel's back or it was just one of many reasons. But it always comes up in conversation. And I think, yeah, you just have to look at what's happened since then to see that Scotland's voices have been ignored. The people of Scotland's voices have been ignored. Yeah. The votes have been ignored. You know, sixty what's it, sixty-two percent or something in Scotland. Yeah, yeah. Um, every constituency in Scotland all vote for one thing, mm-hmm. but it doesn't it doesn't count for and anything. It, and and of you course can see it in the general elections and of as course well. You, you uniquely out of the nations of the UK, Scotland is the only uh, country that didn't get what it voted for, because of course Northern Ireland still has uh, that ability to trade in the EU. Yeah. yeah, and the only reason, the reason for that is because it would cause so much of an administrative headache for the government. Mm. Um, so it's not even like they're really respecting the wishes of Northern Ireland. For them, it's a practicality yeah. thing. It's a um, cop-out, yeah. It's a cop-out, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, Bre- Brexit, as, as we know, was a leading factor for you and, and many others in, in changing your mind. Uh, you, you know, do you, do you believe that's the same for many of those people in 2014 who voted no? Do you think that's quite a common? Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. I mean, like I said, it doesn't. It's maybe not the only reason in in people's minds, but it's certainly it's certainly up there, and it's, it comes up in the conversations that I have with people, um, you know, friends and family who, like me, voted no for whatever reason and changed their mind to vote yes. And Brexit is always in that conversation. And it's actually normally the first thing that comes up. And then maybe a few other things come up about how the UK is currently being governed, how since since the 2014 referendum, we've sent a, almost a clean sweep of SNP MPs to Westminster, but it doesn't make an, a jot of difference to the government that we actually get. Um, so, yeah, I think it would be fair to say that Brexit, in most people's minds, is one of the leading reasons for changing And mind. do you yeah. think those amongst those people who've really thought about it, like you, since 2014, there's almost a, a roadmap of things that have been done to you, starting with David Cameron on the, the doorsteps of Downing Street that day, you know, leading up to all the different events, the Scotland Act, the... Uh, you know the the fact that none of the amendments were taken from Scottish MPs uh, through to Brexit and other things, the Internal Market Act and so forth. Do you think that, that there is actually a kind of a, a, a process there that you can see where where the, there's just been a, a, a more and more reasons to to vote yes? Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there because I can't think of I can think of plenty of those reasons and I cannot think of an argument against against uh, them. Mm-hmm. So. You know, like you say, like um, Scottish politicians' amendments being voted down, 
um, the the EU Withdrawal Act, the Scotland Act, all these power grabbing, hmm. trying to centralise power back to Westminster. I can't think of a positive thing that, that Westminster has done that only specifically positively affects hmm. Scotland. And that case um, for the union is far more difficult now than it was in 2014 when yeah. all these promises are being made. Yeah, no, hmm. absolutely. Um, and so I think, um, you know, looking ahead to the next referendum in the next couple of years or whenever it is that they're going to have a much tougher time making these arguments again because they can't make they'll try to make the same arguments but they just won't stand up to any sort of scrutiny because Mm. people bought it last time and you know we believed or some of us believed what was being said and it's Mm. just been shown to just be demonstrably untrue People will no doubt find your personal story really helpful to listen to how you've been open to uh, changing your mind. Do you think people are more likely to listen and be persuaded by the arguments for an independent Scotland now? Um, I'd say so, yeah. Um, I'd say that, like, again, following on from the last point, there's more evidence to show that these people can't be trusted with the arguments that they're making now. I'd I'd certainly think that people are much less inclined to trust the people mm-hmm. who will be leading the 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 campaign against independence. Um, in terms of making a positive case for independence, I think that's absolutely vital. I think people will always listen to a positive campaign. Um, we need to we do need to reach out to people like me who maybe are just Indeed. a few steps further yeah. back along the path um, and really focus our efforts and engaging with them and seeing what the concerns are. Because many of the concerns are probably quite similar from, from yeah. 2014. Well, well, that's interesting. What What do you think? Yes, supporters, um, people who, who be in the campaign now and starting the campaign now can learn from 2014. What What the What do you think are the the, the learning points from 2014 in terms of persuading people who were formerly no voters, or indeed people who weren't old enough to vote um, at that time, into voting for independent Scotland? Yeah. So the one of the main things i would say is is really just try to see like everyone and it sounds ridiculous Stephen, that we're even saying this but treat everyone like adults and mm. and speak to them with respect no matter what their viewpoint is yeah and i know it's, it's very it's, it's quite, very very difficult sometimes it, it, it's to do quite this. bizarre I, i've i've seen even on your social media you know when you've been talking about your conversion your journey you know you taking yeah. abuse from people who are saying you were an yeah. idiot for voting no in I know, 2014 yeah, and, and it's not helpful is it it's really not helpful no. and and other people might be reading that who don't, who don't support independence there and they might be kind of coming around to it maybe mm. but they think if i'm gonna listen if that's what i'm yeah joining count me out i mm. don't want to have a part in it and so it's it's so important that we we don't demonize anyone for voting no last time because you know one, it was years ago. Two, everyone had different reasons. And three, it's not going to change anyone's Indeed, mind. Indeed, so pe- people are entitled to their view at a particular time when they go to vote in a democracy. And it, the job of people in a campaign must surely be, uh, you know, I hope you agree with this, I, I know you do, but must surely be to, to say to people, you know, look, welcome on board. You know, thanks for changing your mind. Thanks for keeping an open mind and listening to the arguments. Yeah, and it's important to remember as well that... Um, whether yes campaigners or yes tweeters or whoever, <laughs> whether they realise it or not, they are they're put they are putting forward mm. what they want in an independent Scotland to look like. Mm-hmm. So by acting like that, 
it's going to put people because they're going to think oh i'm not voting for this because this is going to become the norm yeah. now it's going to become a you know just a torrent of abuse anyone who disagrees and and it is easy you know it's easy to call people an idiot because they don't disagree, they they disagree with you or they don't agree with your points of view but it's just not it's not how we're going to win this in, in and the, it's not how we're going to change people's yeah. minds and the key point is we can't win it without changing people's and, minds and of course the the echo chamber of social media doesn't isn't representative of the vast majority of people i remember in the 2014 campaign when i was on the other side campaigning for an independent scotland at that time it was a very inclusive movement you know and by and large and you know i think it's really uh, you know, important to to call out those people who are sabotaging that with the the kind of wrong attitude in terms of saying that people being abusive to people as opposed to yeah. being welcome to people, yeah. which is what, really what the the referendum campaign was all about last time, and what a future one should be about. Yeah, no, absolutely, and and also what we need to be aware of within within the yes side is um, you know infighting and and division between ourselves because you know at the end of the day we all want the same thing mm. and we might want it for different reasons but we all want the same thing you know arguing about like why aren't we having it tomorrow um <laughs> yeah. it's it, it doesn't help the situation at all and in fact it's what michael gove and politicians down south are really trying to do they're trying oh, to stoke up the division between mm. us they've seen it and they're capitalizing on it and to to attack each other is just playing into their hands. Well, that, that, that's exactly as you said. That's exactly what uh, you know they would want to do in terms of saying, right? Well, you know, it reduces our need to actually make any positive case, which you know evidently they can't do. I'm still waiting to see that myself. Yeah. Uh, any positive case for the union? So what they'll do is they'll just try and uh, ride in the coattails of any arguments that are happening within the Yes campaign. So I think, I think you're right. I think we really need to watch that. Look, looking ahead to the forthcoming referendum, what do you expect from the No campaign? What do you think the tactics would be this time? Um, yep, Project Fear 2.0, probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, to, you know, to, to coin that phrase again. Um, I can't see them, like you just said, I can't see them coming up with a positive vision for mm. the union because there just isn't one. Um, if there was one, someone would have thought or oh, we should probably probably mention that by now i imagine um their whole argument will be based upon you know some of the reasons that i said right at the opening here um the unknown yeah. they'll they'll focus a lot on uh, on covid on the support of the uk throughout the pandemic which you know by the way scotland paid for as well yes, so we've got our taxpayers here too it, yeah, yeah so it's not it's not as if this is a far off country supporting us you know this is this is them deciding and, how to and allocate of course every, our own money every country in the world that faced the pandemic has taken actions to to do that some for you know within the eu some even as tiny as little malta and so forth have been able to uh, cope with this so governments do what they need to do to support countries yeah and also yeah. you know i would make the point that the uk's response to covid hasn't exactly been like exemplary and without fault so I, I don't doubt that they will use that as an argument, but I, I think it's quite a shallow argument. I think the, the holes could be poked in that very easily. Um, they'll, they'll focus on e economics, um, mm. which, is, which is a much more debatable issue. Um, and again, that's because we just don't know yeah, what it, would happen. It's, it's interesting. I always uh, find the argument about you know that Scotland's too wee, too poor, or whatever, to be really kind of fatuous argument. I mean, you know, Scotland is factually one of the richest countries in the world in terms of its uh, resources. It's a modern economy. 
you know, we look yeah. around just across the Irish Sea um, to independent Ireland. You look to yeah. other across countries the within sea. Europe and, yeah. and Scandinavia of similar sizes. There is no good reason uh, why Scotland should be incapable of uh, of um, being able to run its own affairs. And you know, when I, when you look at the JERS figures, um, you know, and well, so I was just forth. about to mention yeah, them. Well, well, yeah, well, let's let's talk about those for a second. Yeah. Um, so the yeah, that's that's an indictment of the UK as it is. In my yeah, opinion, it, it, these figures aren't saying this is what would happen if Scotland went independent. You'd have this enormous deficit, and you know public spending would be out of control, and blah blah blah. That's not what <laughs> that's it's, not what they're saying. That's that's because of the fact that we don't have. I think it's seventy percent of. Yeah. of revenue um, and 40% of spending powers are reserved to Westminster. So we don't have the full power to do this. We don't have full borrowing powers, um, which it, any it's country the only, in the world... It, it's the only situation where they, they're trying to say, we've made this so much worse for you. That's why you can't be any better, because we keep hammering your other yeah. spending decisions. Yeah, I, I know. And the, the, the argument that, you know, this is the state right now and it's bad, so don't change anything. Yeah, don't it just make it doesn't better. make any sense. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and of course it's going it's going even further now in terms of you know we've you were talking about the effects of Brexit and so forth and we've seen since the uh, the, the turn of the year in twenty twenty one Brexit's full effect coming in and the devastating effect that that change forced through by a Tory Westminster government and aided with the Labour Party uh, in the UK devastating effect that's made to Scottish trade. In terms of being able, to. so again, as figures get worse, it's like they'll say, "Well, look, you know, Scotland can't do it because look at your trading figures." When they've actually done their best to hamstring that themselves. Yep, yep, and uh, you can see um, if you go back to when Ireland um, became independent, the majority of their trade was done with the UK, and naturally because geographically mm-hmm. it makes sense. And then after that, when they joined the EU, it's down to something like nine or ten percent now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not. And, it, and it's growing with other happens right now and growing very that fast that. with other EU countries and the rest of the world at the moment as well. No, absolutely, and I think mm. most of our trade with the UK is um, is services. If I'm right in saying yeah. that, it's, it's not necessarily physical exports, although we do most of up until uh, the beginning of the year. Uh, the vast majority of Scottish exports, that's manufactured goods, the things we made, actually have been exported out with the UK to Europe and beyond. Um, it's yeah. only, as you say, things like insurance, financial services, and and things like oil, gas, renewable electricity, and so forth that are not, you know, affected by uh, by borders that that are piped goods, if you like. Uh, yeah, absolutely, and and you know, services like you say, like insurance or mm. business services or whatever, these things are very much cross border, like mm. palatable. It's very easy to set up arrangements to do that across a border. We do it at the moment with other countries that we're not in the union with. So I don't understand why that that lied on the map would make that any well, more difficult well, than it needs to be. Let's let's ask an, a final question then about that because um, you recently appeared in the SNP's party political broadcast called "Change Must Come." And you said in that, I think I'm correct, that Scotland could be whatever the people of Scotland want it to be. Uh, what does that mean to you and why is that important? When I said an independent Scotland could be whatever the people of Scotland want it to be, I think that resonates so much with people who are maybe maybe 40% yes, 60% no. They're kind of not quite over the line yet. 
And the reason for that is one of the weaknesses, in my opinion, in 2014 um, for the S campaign was the very polarizing figure of the leader of the S campaign in Alex Salmond. And I think people saw a vote for yes as a vote for the SNP. Mm. And that if they voted yes, the SNP would be in government for 50 years in Scotland and they would be able to do whatever they wanted to do, blah, blah, blah. I'm a member of the SNP now, so I would like the SNP to do well post-independence. Mm. But it's not a guarantee. No. There's nothing to say that you know, we gain independence, the first government's SNP. There's suddenly a big shift in in opinion polls and then there's a coalition of the Lib Dems and the Tories you know I don't believe that would happen uh, so quickly but but it'd be the democratic choice of the an independent point is, Scotland is that it would to, be Scottish voters making yeah. these decisions mm-hmm. about how Scotland is run mm-hmm. and at the moment obviously we do have a, a, a parliament and a government in Holyrood and we send however many MPs to Westminster but because of this because of the setup of the union the, the MPs that we send to Westminster, like yourself, even though it's in 2015, it was all bar three, I think. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, since then, there's been a, still an enormous majority of, of SNP MPs being elected from Scotland. It comes back to this democratic deficit where we're very clear in what we mm-hmm. want and it doesn't make a difference to yeah. the decisions being made. At least with devolution, we've had an element of power with certain things that Westminster has deemed um, applicable for us to to look after. But I th- independence is just taking that one step further and saying, listen, you know, we just want to be in charge of our own affairs. Mm-hmm. It's normal for a country to do that. It's not a con- another country in the world that hands power over to a government from another country, even though, you know, it said, well, you know, you send so many MPs there. Well, yes, we do, and we can certainly we can certainly um, hold the government to account. That's all we'll ever be able to do yeah. in that situation, that we'll never be in government ourselves. And for a whole country to never have the power to govern itself, I, that, that's a clincher for me. It's, mm-hmm. um, it comes down to who do we want to make the decisions about what's best for our country? Do we want partly us, but mainly someone else? Or do we just want it to be the Scottish people and the people that live and work in Scotland to make these decisions? Ruri, thank you very much for your uh, time today on the Scotland's Choice uh, podcast and for sharing your journey from uh, no to yes. I'm sure you'll be very active in the yes campaign in the the coming months. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe I'll see you out on the on the doors. Thanks, you certainly, Andrew. You certainly will. Thanks again. And there we have it. Even in 2014, some no voters, even campaigners for no, like Ruri, weren't entirely convinced of their position. It's good to remember that even though folk can project firm views, providing the right information in the right way can persuade them to change their minds and to support Scottish independence. There's still no positive case for the Union and the same old arguments will be used against independence in future. Gordon Brown will no doubt be wheeled out once again, but the people of Scotland can see clearly that there is no substance to the promises that will be made, like that powerful federalism that hasn't and won't be put in place. My thanks to Ruri for taking part and once again to you for listening. Don't forget you can find new and previous episodes of Scotland's Choice at scotlandschoice.scot. 
If you can share this podcast, it can help others with their decision on Scotland's future. I'm Drew Hendry and I hope you'll join me next time on Scotland's Choice.